Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music is Not a Genre, the interview edition. Uh, Every week, as you know, if you tune in, I talk about music, I break it down, I bust myths, I make connections where connections don't seem to be. I connect all kinds of music with my music, with all other other kinds of music, all other people's music, uh, and to other things in the world. Thank you to everyone who subscribes and clicks and shares and reads and listens and watches on ver- on all the various platforms, both video and audio and everything else. Uh, if you are a Patreon patron, thank you very much for that. I appreciate that uh, just as much. And uh, let's get right to it. Uh, this week, my guest is Gustavo Rodriguez. He is a musician, talent booker, writer, producer, and podcaster who also performs under the name Sylvan Sandovar. And you're welcome to correct me if I get that wrong. How are you today, Gus? I'm doing great. It's great to be with you, Nick. Thanks for Thank having you. me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So can you, uh, well, this, this is an interesting question. I'd ask this of every, every guest, but in this particular case, it might be interesting. Can you give an account to the best of your memory? How do we know each other? Oh, I, I think we know each other just purely. Uh, I'd actually love to figure that out about from your end. How do you? How, what, what made you? Uh, what made you reach out to me? Uh, is I, I think I, I received an email from you, uh, and you were curious about um, playing music at the bar. I, I'm assuming you were, you probably visited the bar before and checked it out and saw it as a potential space. You said you were new to the neighborhood when we met. You said you were new to Long Island City, right? Right. And so uh, I was excited to welcome you into the musical community, into the neighborhood. I was excited that you wanted to be part of it. So, and I'm glad you, I, I'm glad you reached out to me, and I'm glad we know each other now. Me too. Uh, the, you know, it's, it's there's that is that is the story. Yes, uh, Catherine and I uh, put a duo together, and you know, we we knew about the bar. I knew about the bar um, from actually many years before that. Uh, a good friend of mine uh, named Daniel Cousins, who I also just interviewed, uh, had played the bar. And I'm, I am i can't remember whether I was backup for him on that gig or just came to see it. But either way, you know, we hung out in the bar and this was, God, this was probably maybe not 10 years ago, but, but you know, several years ago. And uh loved i just loved the vibe and this was when i was still living in harlem and didn't really know much about that area other than the waterfront which i've always loved and thought geez you know if if at some point uh it makes sense to come out to queens and play i'm gonna do it and i'd love to do it here and anytime daniel ever ever talked about you he just always had good things to say 
I love Daniel and Liz. Uh, they're great, great friends. They're all awesome people. Yeah, Liz too. And- yeah, but I, I've been, I, I've been, yeah, I've been at the LA. It might have been ten years, Nick, or close to that. Uh, maybe, maybe eight years. I'll say when I, when I, when Daniel was playing there, and then uh, when I first started to work at LIC Bar, it was two thousand eight, and at the time, it felt it felt like that area of Queens, that Long Island City neighborhood, was kind of first coming out of its cocoon. And it, there was still uh, a little bit of a, a stigma attached to working in Queen or, you know, having something going on in Queens because Brooklyn was getting so much attention at the time. Everything was Brooklyn or Williamsburg or you know, Manhattan too. But uh, Queens felt like, uh, you know, like the poor second cousin or stepchild or whatever is <laughs> the term. And so uh, it, it was fun. I, I, but I, I delighted in having people come down uh, that had never, that had never been to the neighborhood that, that, either blindly booked a gig or just walked in by chance and see them see their eyes you know widen that oh. it, was, it, it exceeded their expectations they didn't expect to find this little oasis uh, uh, where they didn't expect to find it you know it, that's so true and i um daniel at the time was living in astoria so he would always he knew queens way better than i did even though i lived in sunnyside from 2000 to 2004 yeah my my entire experience what yeah yeah my entire experience with lic at the time was just coming down to the waterfront with my kids to hang out on the grass and didn't know anything really about much about vernon boulevard or any of that and to have come back periodically with Daniel to see things kind of starting to grow and the little shops that were there and the awesome, awesome food and very, you know, like really chill bars uh, mostly to, to hang out in um, was really cool to see. And that was one of the reasons why Catherine and I decided to move there, which we now where we are now in Astoria. Um, but uh, we lived there for a year and, and loved it, you know. And I will say, and this may be controversial, I love all New York boroughs, but when it comes to the battle between Queens and Brooklyn, Queens is closer to my heart than Brooklyn. So I just love, you know, and people like you in the bar and all. I tend to agree with you, Nick, and and it's it's slightly more controversial coming from me because my my roots are Brooklyn, but I definitely feel more affinity for Queens, maybe because it got less attention. I'm just kind of inclined that way to, to go with the underdog, I guess, you know. Um, but yeah, Queens has its own thing. It's its own character. It always has, and it has. Um, I'd argue it's a little more authentic. It's more working class. It's organically diverse, as opposed to something that was kind of preordained, planned, or um, say curated. So uh, there's something very natural about Queens that I like in that regard. Yeah, I have to agree. You know, I I saw enough of Queens when I lived here the first time. I had a car, so we'd go out as far as far as hills and everywhere in between. And there's such diversity there. And my son, who is was not born at the time and is now 12, almost 13, uh, loves saying that. And I want to say it's Jackson Heights, but he says that there's a borough, there's an area in Queens that's the most diverse neighborhood in all of the United States. And I think it might that's be Jackson. Correct. It's Jackson Heights slash Elmhurst, I would say. Yeah, that's it's um. It's been said, yeah, it's statistically the most ethnically diverse area on the planet. On the planet. Wow. 
Amazing. Uh, so not, while we're on the subject of, you know, Queens and Brooklyn and origins and stuff like that, uh, a question I love to ask, because you never know what the answer is and how far back people like to go, but why don't you tell uh, everyone your story? Oh, man, it's all over the place. Um, but I, I'm, I would categorize myself first and foremost, I think, as a, a late bloomer. I belong to the late bloomer society. Um, I mean, I've always been a creative person. I've always been artistic, but I didn't really come out of my shell and start, you know, trying to actually really do something with, you know, with anything until I was in my thirties. I kind of was putzing around just, just lots of false starts. You know, I'd, I'd start a band, but would never leave the garage kind of thing, you know? And I didn't start playing out. I'd actually start playing actual stages that, that weren't an open mic until I was in you know, my thirties. And, uh, I, I like that, you know, I, I think, um, and not a lot of nice things have happened that in the interim, um, it's just people have their own path. You know, it has to happen at their own pace. And I've been lucky enough, you know, I've been able to pursue different interests, you know, music and, and, uh, as well, as well, we might do later podcasting, um, you know, you know, doing radio theater, <laughs> they call it radio theater, uh, being a playwright, and it's having, being able to indulge in all these different uh, interests, you know, I've been fortunate. So, but I've been, yeah, since I was a kid, I've always been inclined towards, you know, art, art, you know artistic things, creativity. And I'm kind of, I think I'm stuck with that for, for life. I don't know how to do anything else. You know, I always say if you get to a certain age and you haven't become rich from the thing that you're doing and you're still doing it, then you really must love it. You must, you must yeah. not be able to not do it, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think, yeah, this is a sad thing. Some people, it's so tied to careerism. You know, they, they, you know I can understand if you switch careers and you have to make a living and make a, or make a better living. Um, but it's sad when people you know, put the, you know, put the canvas and the paints in the closet, you know, or the guitar and storage forever. And they stop that, they let that part of themselves die off. So uh, that's, um, that's, a, that's sad. It's unfortunate. I don't think it has to be that way too. If you really want it to be a part of your life, you'll find a way for it to uh, live and breathe and be part of what you do. It's a gift. If you have any kind of ability or talent or uh, even desire, the drive to, to make things. You should always find at least a little space for that. That's beautiful. I love that. I and I, you know, I wish more people could hear that and really feel it. Uh, I had a friend who was a writer. Uh, I knew him since we were teenagers, and uh, he was a good writer. Just put it down in favor of whatever else, light you know, came along in life, which it which happens. But I could tell yeah. it was a disappointment to him. And on the other end, and who knows, it may be him one day. My mother has been a, you know, has been a writer kind of uh, dormantly for her entire life. And as of this past year, decided she would finally write her novel. And she's 79 years old. Amazing. I love it. Love it. Yeah. And there's, you, you don't have to feel alone. There's lots of, your mom is a great example. There's lots of people that find their, their spark at, at, at it's not always going to be in your 20s and 30s it's going to be it could be anytime 
you know, Raymond Chandler didn't write his first book until he was in, I think, in his 40s, you know, <laughs> or there's lots of examples of people that are that just kind of, Leonard Cohen was in his you know, late 30s when he started to finally rise as a musician. He just when he, he kind of merged from being a, uh, a prose and poetry literary artist into becoming a music, musical one. So, I mean, there's, there's, well, you just got to just not get, I think a lot of us get too hung up on, I didn't make it and I'm not making a living at it. So I must, you know, I don't want to do it. It's too, my, the, the dream, it's too tied to the dream. The dream isn't what I wanted. So I, I, it bums me out too much to, to do this anymore. That's unfortunate. I understand it, but it's unfortunate. But if you can keep that alive and keep that in your life, I think that's, it's important. I think, I think you should, you should try, make every effort to make that your part of your life. I agree. And I, and I mean, we understand so many people understand that kind of internal struggle and how do you separate uh, things like success and age from just the joy of doing what you're doing, you know, and we, yeah. as a society as, as, as far as we've come, and I do think we have progressed, st- there, you know, there's still a stigma to age and to, to think when you're in your twenties, when I was in my early twenties, I thought I was running out of time. I thought, geez, if I'm not successful by the time I'm 25, I may as well give up. And then, you, and then you hit 25 and you're like, no, I think I really like this. I'm going to keep doing it. You know, to look back on your 30s instead of forward and to think that it that is in any way late is ridiculous. Right. It's true. As long as you have it in you, if you have something to say and you have the ability, find a way to do it. Even if you're not making a cent off it, it's just pure pleasure. It's pure, uh, it's expression at the end of the day, right? So, and if people share in it, that the more the better, of course, it's always what we all, it's what we all really want, if we're being honest. But, uh, but if you have that in you, it's, if you, it's the making that we get the pleasure in the process. I mean, you know, how many, how many musicians do you know that I think get the most pleasure just making the record, being in the studio, mm-hmm. the, the activeness of that, you know, the, you know when it's their, that's what, even though CDs and you know, recorded music is changing, you know, physical media is changing, has changed. People still want that, that artists still want that, that feeling of making that thing in the studio. It's very important to us. I, right. There are things that no matter how the technology changes, the act, that act of creation is still alive in some way. And yeah. I just, I had a brief conversation with people over at CD Baby which is who I release everything through. And um, they're great. I mean, they've been around 20 years. They've seen the industry change. And I was asking them to make some changes on, I think my Apple profile or something like that, my artist profile. And they said, we'll help you. But just so you know, there is a seven month backlog for things like this, because last year we had such an influx of new recordings and new artists that we couldn't handle it all. And wow. it doesn't seem to be letting up. Wow. Which you got to love, you know, the, the pain that we're all going through or the, or, you know, whether it's this pandemic or any, you know, other part of life and to, for that to have inspired that much of an increase in, in creativity and productivity is, I just think that's wonderful. I do too. Yeah. I, I applaud people for that. It's now you said, boy, there, I mean, there's so many things we can go on here. Let's, let's go back to the the first thing. So you, 
you are the way I got to know you was, and as you said, you started working at LIC Bar in 2008, and you've been the talent booker there, right? Since then, yeah. How did you? I find this an interesting question because, you know, I have you know booked talent when I've put shows together that were series, but that's sort of in its own little microcosm in a bubble. But I've never crossed over into that other part of the industry where you're not just a performer, but you're making the decisions like that. What was that like? Well, how did that happen? That's a great question. Uh, I just. Uh sort of fell into it I, up the street from lic bar is a bar called uh dominice hoek yeah sure you know it yeah, yeah. and i started i started out there that place changed my life because in around 2006 2007 i can't remember but there was an open mic there uh my friend was hosting and i i had just moved to long island to the sunny side and i was kind of like restarting my social, rebuilding my social life. And I just didn't know anybody in the area. And I just wandered past this open mic for maybe, maybe two or three weeks before I got the courage to go in. And when I finally did, it changed my life. And it led to all these different musical adventures I've been on ever since. Uh, uh, The people there were supportive enough. My friends that I made there were supportive enough. They gave it. They helped me give myself permission to do things I wasn't letting myself do putting myself out there more and it led to um and i started to help manage the open mic as well i was also host, hosting it or you know guest hosting it a lot <laughs> and then it, it branched into um lic bar it was someone at uh, lic bar called me up and asked if i would bring an open mic to lic bar and i said uh, i didn't want to do an open mic i wanted to do something different and if I'd be interested if they would let me do something different, meaning uh, bring in, you know, acts to do, you know, sets as opposed to the open mic format. And they were games. They were just, they just had a, they had a dead night of the week, which is Monday. And they said, just make Monday better. <laughs> then it, it, and uh, we'll take it from, and that's, that's how it started. And it branched out. So we had music several nights a week and I ended up kind of uh, overseeing that. But also before me at LIC Bar, there was one person uh, that it, live music started not with me. It started with the woman named Kelly, uh, and, and she was a bartender, and she created the whole outdoor music series. And I I learned a lot from her. I was I was inspired by her, and it was just Sunday afternoons. It was called the you know, the Rock and Roll Barbecue. And I would go almost every week. And she had great taste. I I liked a lot of what she booked, and uh, she invented the whole idea the owners didn't have any plan for this she invented this whole concept of doing using that back room as the stage and they used to have a barbecue grill with you know, flipping burgers and whatnot and i and it was brilliant it was genius and i was so fortunate i got to, to take over the reins from her or I, I i built more on it i started putting um we did music in the inside the main bar and we started bringing in more local bands, more, you know, people at different le- at different levels. There's some people that we would bring in that are more in development, let's say, and there's others that are super pro that have been around for a long time or, or have worked with them as side men and women for famous people. And it's a, it's a mixed, they're eclectic. It's a mixed bag. And I try to be as, uh, I try to get away with 
experimenting as much as I can. Um, not everything works. You can't have everything in there. It's got it has to be it has to be uh, still fall under the uh, the umbrella of entertainment. I suppose it's because it's a sort of a, a democratic thing. People are coming off the street. You can't have something that's just. I learned the hard way. I would, Nick, I would book thing. I took. <laughs> I learned a lot of lessons. I would. I would. Uh, you know, indulge eccentric. Uh, you know. Um, impulses and, and book stuff that was a little too out there a little too avant-garde and it just didn't work for that space. <laughs> There's some trial and error for sure. And every now and then I still like to sneak something in that's a little off center. I like to try to get the off center things when I, when I can, but I also love just, you know, I slightly, I love when some music is just, just well-performed and well-presented and, uh, you know, as long as it's a show, you know, as long as it's someone that's doing it, that's committed to doing a show. I mean, I'm interested in it. And um, we've had a lot of great acts pass through the years. I mean, very, and it's been exciting to watch people start out at a certain level and, and become better over the years too. That's also very gratifying. And I look at the whole, I'm, I got away from your, your question, but to answer your question about uh, yeah. how do you reconcile the whole, you know, performer, musician, say creative person with uh, going to, going to the area of say management or, you know, it's something that seems like it's, uh, it's alien to each other. Uh, but I don't approach booking and, and programming um, in any, any other way, for better or worse. I approach it like an artist. I still put it under the category of making things, of building things. So, is, is something I... Um, that's a way, maybe the way of director, director thing. So when I look at a show, I look, and, and if I get in my way, I'm able to put together the, the bill I want to put together. And to me, that's kind of its own canvas. And I look at, I look, I approach it from that that standpoint. There's perspective, the whole creation of a show. Also, I like the idea of fewer brushstrokes. I like to be minimalist in terms of what I do. I don't like to be too in the middle of, I like to be kind of, you know, not too visible. You know, I like to be kind of, I, if, you, if you see me at a show at L- LIC bar, if I'm at a show, which I am most of the time, I'm not mingling too much with the artists. I'm not, I'm just trying to stay out of their way. <laughs> I want, I don't want to disrupt them or, you know, make them throw them off their game. In fact, you know, I want to protect the vibe. And so sometimes the best way to do that, in my opinion, at least in my case, is just to, Hang back and just be present. Be there when they need you, but don't don't be all over them, fussing all over them either. You know, so give them give them their space. That's great. I, you know, the the whole when you your first description of what you, how you do what you do, it exact it exactly corresponds with you being a director and having work worked with directors and been a director myself in film there's such a different style in the way people put things together and i know as a musician when you're getting booked in a club there's you don't know what personalities on the other side or what their criteria are for you know how why they're booking how they're booking what they expect you to bring to the table and all of that and you have to respect that because they're working in a place and they have certain requirements to fulfill but 
aside from that, it's the personality that you're kind of looking for, like how, how artist friendly are they? They, you know, they want you to come prepared, but do they understand that there's a, like you said, a wide range of artistry out there and to have a venue for people like that to play where it does rise above the level of an open mic, you know, is, is something like we, you know, any, any musician out there might agree with me if we can multiply you by 10,000, I think that the, you know, club scene in the country would be, would be so much more vibrant. And again, I understand money needs to be made, et cetera, et cetera. But that feeling of you're there, you, you have curated a night and you're there to support, but you're allowing the artist to, to fill that space and do with it what they will is the greatest feeling. It's kind of the golden rule thing, Nick. I think part of what informed me or maybe, you know, added to my drive to want to do this kind of work in the beginning, especially, was as a performer, I had some, you know, negative uh, experiences, you know, even painful experiences as a performer. And I'm sure a lot of us have those kind of stories where you go to a club and you feel mistreated or you feel, you feel like you're on a conveyor belt or something, you know, you're just, you're just, you just don't feel, you know, special. You should feel, and I, I wanted to be different that way. I, at least I, I strove to be that way. I want, when someone comes into the club, I want to greet them. And I want to say, hello, Nick. Hey, Nick, nice to meet you. If I never, even if I never met you, I, I'm going to try to get a hint. If I see you walking in with a guitar case, oh, that's got to be Nick. Okay. <laughs> let me, let me say hello to Nick and, and let him know where everything is and, you know, just make sure, put him at ease, help disarm him a little bit. If there's, if there's any nervousness, uh, just be tr- the way I'd like to be treated. Cause I've been in situations where you, you've gone to a club and the sound person's cranky or there's just, no one is there to answer your question or you're just kind of sitting there at the bar, like waiting for someone to tell you what to do. I, I thought it doesn't have to be that way because those little things actually, uh, will go just as far as sometimes as, uh, you know, having, you know, money <laughs> to throw it, you know, they're, they're, it's its own kind of currency. If you just treat people well and, and you let them make them feel welcome and appreciated and give them the sense that you're invested, that there's a show happening tonight. There's something, there's something that's going to happen on this, on the stage tonight. That is it. That matters. Uh, it, it goes a long way. And I wish, <laughs> I do wish more people would think from that. In that perspective, you know, that they're that are in the in the position of their whose role is presenting or uh, presenting music, live music, especially in, in small clubs. I mean, that there's no excuse. It's, I understand if you're doing something large scale and it's a bigger animal, um, but if it's a small, intimate place, it, there's no reason why you can't have you know, one staff person devoted to letting you know where, you know, <laughs> at least where where uh, you know to put down your gear and. Uh, come inside of a seat you know that's not so difficult no. especially if they're not making a lot of money especially if they're or, or little to no money you, that's the very least you can do the very least very the, you know extend go, go a little out of your way to, with the courtesy and and, and um and uh, personal touch i i yeah and <laughs> you'll have to say hello to my dog here just that just so everyone knows we've got a a guest, uh, Olga. Um, hey. Yeah, what's that? 
I said, hey, hey, Olga. Yeah, Olga. He, um, you know, Gus is saying hi if you want to say. She's not. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I love that. And, you know, I always feel like this, this to me applies to bands. It applies to uh, productions of any kind. It applies to companies that the tone is set from the top down. And, you know, having performed at LIC Bar a couple of times now, it's not, you know, it's not just you. I do think that your, your influence seems to permeate the people who are there. There was a real welcome feeling. And this is in a place that does get some people in. The mo- many of the people who were there the nights we played did not know us, had never heard the music. And most of it is, is, was original music to boot, which is, you know, always a harder thing to get people into. And they were just so, you know, welcoming and supportive and really into what we were doing. And I saw that even with the other bands on the, on the bill each night that were there. Yeah. I want you to do well. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't want to treat like an audition. You know, I, I, I want people to, have a, a good experience i want them to because i know and people will often ask me or they'll assume they'll say they'll say oh it must be such a pain in the neck dealing with artists they must be so flaky and lighty and uh, you know unreliable and i always tell them no no really overwhelmingly no there i mean artists i work with at least my from my anecdotally from my experience that's their that's the extreme minority of people um the majority this is the time they want they have an hour or so to do their thing and they've been it may be the only time that month they do it or and it's it's so important they're there they're there they're, they're before i they're often there before i am mm. you know they're bucking at the, they're ready to go they're prepared they want to they want to do they can't this is what they love to do and this is, it means a lot to them and they this is their chance to fly for an hour so it's important to them and so i tried <laughs> i could be better <laughs> no. <laughs> being, uh, that's beautiful being, i mean yeah. the uh, yeah the, as, as we know that any artist who loves what they're doing and is serious about it you have to work pretty pretty hard to get there and if if you're honoring that by showing up and being ready, then it's good to know that there's someone on the other side honoring them too, you know. Uh, now, speaking of artists, uh, it seems as though, based on your timeline, that the starting at Dominique's Hoek, which I've never known how to pronounce that. I'm glad you said it first. Uh, and then moving to LIC Bar, it seems to kind of have some t- crossover time-wise to some of the releases I saw online. I did a little research and I see that, that your band on both on Bandcamp and uh, on Spotify had albums out around that time. How did that, where did that come from? How did it come together and how did it work with everything you were doing at the time? Oh, wow. That's hard. It's hard to unknot. <laughs> yeah. Um, it all, everything's just this, this it's a little bit of a blur, honestly. Um, we just didn't just, I mean, I didn't have, I still don't have, it's, I guess it's why uh, uh, my, my, um, my links look the way they do. <laughs> I don't have, uh, I'm, I'm bad about, you know, I just do it because it feels like a right, right thing to do at the moment. Or is that just something I have to get out and 
this is the right time just intuitively i didn't i don't didn't have a marketing plan or uh, probably to my detriment um it just all kind of happened i was just grabbing at things that are opportunities and whatever popped up and there were a number of them so there was that and uh and also just looking you know as a at my own timeline, I was saying, all right, I'm at a certain age. I Let me stop making excuses. I probably want to do a radio show type, old-time radio show podcast. Just do it already. I've been thinking about it for years. Just get it off. Now you're, you found a little, uh, it's a little hot streak where you're just, in terms of productivity, creativity, you're doing things, making things happen, just, just grab it stuff. So I started made a couple of records and uh did things i just didn't give myself permission to do for a lot of years i you know i also was booking spike hill uh, almost you know for a good chunk of time until they closed in addition to lic bar i had my hands in a lot of different little things kind of still do but where music is concerned um as of now it's just lic bars primarily it's still the hub still the the main place i work with do you play there ever yeah, yeah, but I, I made it from the very get from the get go. I, I made it kind of a rule for myself not to book myself that often because I I just remembered I'm seeing that examples of that where the the, the person either if they were running an open mic or booking the thing they gave themselves an hour and everyone else got like you know ten minutes. I never felt <laughs> I should. I didn't. I never. I never thought uh, that was a great look. And I also, there's just so many people that want to play, and I want to. It's and again, it's it's about curating. is is about uh, it's its own little art form. And playing, if I'm playing all the time, I think that would distract from. That. I was actually getting, especially that those first you know six seven years as I was learning on the job, I was um, getting a lot of pleasure out of it actually. Getting a lot of pleasure out of which part of it? Out of out of making shows happen, out of, you know, presenting shows, and and so that was um that kind of took over. Wow, that's that's great. Yeah. Well, and I still I, myself a writer. I still look at I, those things are they may be dormant for periods, uh, but these these lights go on and off. You know, over I noticed over my my time. So I mean, I'm not. I've been writing songs consistently for a, a while now, but uh, I know that is still in me. I know it's not. It's not dead either. Uh, when it wants to come out, it'll come out. Like maybe when there's a gun next time. <laughs> hey, whatever motivation you need, right? It's good that you're in touch. Well, I, I, I'm right, but there's. I, I just not. I just haven't committed to putting anything into records or or uh, shows, and that's okay. I don't have any hangout about that. I don't feel guilty honestly about, about it so. no it's everyone's you know everyone works differently that I, I interviewed a guy who uh has released 103 albums and it's because he believes that everything he writes he deserves to be recorded and he wants to record it and he sits down and does it and then i have you know like i probably record half of what i write just based on what feels like the thing to do you know and and then your work, you know, the way you work is is different. I just, I think being tuned in enough to know that when that strikes, whether it's the writing process or the recording process or performing, that you 
you know, you have that feeling that you're ready. You're, this is the, it doesn't have to happen a month before or three months later or two years before it's when it happens, it's the right time because it feels right mm -hmm. to you. I agree. I mean, there's uh even where writing is concerned, there's some people, there's different schools of thought. There's some people I've encountered that will be a little judgmental is saying, if you're not writing every day, you know, you're not really a writer. And like, Oh, I don't, I don't buy into that myself. You it's, it's true for you. Doesn't mean it's true for someone else. Uh, and I, I think there's something to be said for <laughs> not, you know, at least when it comes to sharing with, you know, the world outside of your, your bedroom or your, or your workspace. Uh, there's a lot of noise in the world as it is. At least my, it's my feeling. Yeah. And I like to just speak, say something when I have something to say. Yeah. 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 I don't feel the need. To, I don't feel to, the need. To, I, oh, it's uh, six months gone by. I haven't put out. I have no out, creative output. To be, I mean, I don't have to work. I'm look. I'm fortunate. I don't have to, to work that way. But then again, there's the flip side of that. There's the when I uh, the podcast I do, Fireside Mystery Theater, that forced me. Still forces me to. Um, use muscles I'm not always comfortable using as a, you know, I just being a full on writer of plays. It's Fireside Mystery Theater is a podcast. My, my friend and I, um, Ali Silva created in 2014, it became a podcast 2014. We were doing it at LIC bar before that, a couple of years before that, just workshopping it and developing it. It's, it's, it's an, it's a show of original material done, done in the style of old time radio. And it's got a lot of bells and whistles and little moving parts. And it's, it's a challenge to put in. We have now a cast of like 10, 12 actors and musicians. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of an operation. And the podcast has done well. It's a podcast that we have about, I think at this point, 4 million downloads of, it, of the podcast. Um, I haven't gotten rich off it, but, but, uh, but it has forced me to, to be a writer i mean it, it was there was a gun to my head for that because there were deadlines there was no one else going to do it and it's got to be decent it's got to be good it has to be good it has to be something that the actors will no one's making any money off the actors have to be motivated by having good things to, to to work with so i i carried a lot of that i have more help now with writers but um for, for a good chunk i was carrying most of the load and it was um it was difficult so that's a case where I, when you, when you're forced to be prolific, you know, you know, that can be good too. But um, with music, I'm not forced. It's still not worse that way. So it's still uh, can ebb and flow at its own pace where I'm not stressed over it. Well, it's clear that uh, you have, I, I should tell people that when you do, you have been doing this LIC bar broadcast every Sunday night, you know, during this pandemic and uh, part of what you do is a little interview and everything. And it's, it's clear that you've done this before because you, you created the segue that I was just about to create <laughs> um, into knowing more about this, uh, this, po this podcast and the theater that you do. And uh, how would you describe the type of show that that is? Like, what's the what's the material there, the subject? Yeah, it's very it's own something. The, the easiest way this we we sum it up, it's a uh, Prairie Home Companion meets the Twilight Zone. Oh, so, 
It's a, it's a throwback to old time radio shows, but it has a more modern sensibility, but it's still done in a way where um, we, we, uh, we, in normal times, we would, uh, the podcast is recorded live at the Slipper Room, which is a beautiful venue for this kind of thing. It looks like it was, uh, it's like a set of a David Lynch movie or something. It's all red curtain, velvet curtain and old wood and stuff. And uh, just if you go to one of our shows, it's just a, a row of microphones. There's a musician on the side, a pianist or a keyboards improvising the score. And it's made up of a typical shows, made up of little stories and, and uh, vignettes and uh, comedic pieces, musical performances. It's a whole uh, poetry. It's a whole big mixed bag. And we each episode we release is broken. It's broken down into little half hour episodes we release uh, for the podcast. But since, uh, since COVID, we've been trying to do things remotely and we're, we're releasing stuff in drips and drabs because it's harder. It's more time consuming and more um, difficult to um, sew together all the parts doing them individually or remotely. Um, but it's been very gratifying. Uh, a lot of nice things have happened with that along the way. Got our first write-up in the New York Times in August for it. Was, that was nice. Wow. Yeah. So it's done. Yeah, it's done nicely. Uh, not where we can just retire off the no, <laughs> fire right. theater. Uh, not even close. <laughs> but, uh, right. but it's a nice. It feels like a nice. It's been a nice, a great learning experience. It's still something we're very proud of, and. Uh, it's it's been a springboard of other things i think it will continue to be mm. i hope so. well so you I, have to yeah. send me that link i included whatever links you know anyone ever sends here and i'd certainly for some of the, the for the music the links that i have there but i w- would love people to you know know more about this too and i'd like to check it out actually so yeah send me that link or it's called fireside mystery theater that's right yeah okay good anywhere you find podcasts okay and that into google and we have a firesidemysterytheater.com as our website oh great 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 okay that's awesome yeah yeah i love that uh cut i've had experience uh i used to listen to prairie home companion every week and you know and and twilight zone absolutely so that's a really interesting combination and we designed it to be like those shows you can you can discuss we want them to be um done in such a way that younger people can find them they're they're you know they're it's like the twilight zone they're kind of mature content but any there's no f-bombs or uh it's not overly gratuitous anyone can you know i'd say 12 and over will will enjoy it to adults it's very it's designed for adults but it has a thing where it's not gonna be taboo for kids to discover it and, and enjoy it ah that's great and and you so now you started that in 2014 but you have you been a playwright and a writer for a while Oh, well, <laughs> I think uh, I have a background in film. I've, I've done a couple of short films, uh, writing and directing, but I can't say, and I've done, taken, I've taken a stab at screenwriting. Um, but this is the most um, accomplished thing I think I've done in terms of, of, of screenwriting, playwright, radio plays, whatever you call it, uh, the Fireside Mystery Theater. It's, a, it's, the, it's the time I've had to actually in fact, when I started the show, Nick, I just wanted to kind of produce it and just sit back and find some writers that will you know, I can feed ideas to and make it right. But, and that just never materialized. So it got to the point where I had to kind of get over my own 
insecurities and dive into it myself and kind of learn on the job. I remember I've always, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty good, you know, at, with words, but I have to, um, but in terms of that kind of writing, I was always, I felt, I still feel intimidated by it. So it's, um, wow. That's pretty awesome a, that, you know, you, you step up to the challenge. Uh, I love the idea of, like you said, there are times where you have the luxury to just follow the muse and when things come, they come, but that's certain, there's a certain kind of pressure deadline or necessity or the thing that needs to be fulfilled that can really work wonders for, for creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think by default, I'm <laughs> lazy. <laughs> I mean, I work a lot, but I think by default, I'm so, I like to just sit here and talk to you on the couch like this and, uh, but no, but I like to, I'll, once I get into a zone I, and I don't realize I'm working, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it can be a lot of fun. That's awesome. Um, you know, speaking of, and I don't know which one this falls under, whether it was necessity or just happenstance, but you mentioned that uh, you have some other music credits, uh, including you you sang and co-wrote the theme song to Mark Marin's show on IFC, and yeah. you've had some, some of your songs recorded by Shane McGowan. How did yeah. things come about? Yeah, that, that was those... Again, when I, when I said I, when I walked into Dominic's hallway, that changed my life. And the Shane McGowan thing happened. I'll, that's, I'll never forget it. It's a great moment. Um, because if I had never walked through Dominic, those doors of Dominic Hoek, that never would have happened. Because my friend that hosted it uh, had a friend <laughs> that was tight with McGowan. And he liked what we were doing. He liked our music. And we, my friend and I collaborated, we put together a band and we, he put us in a studio with Shane. He told us to write a couple of songs and he'll see if Shane would record them. And he, and he did. They never really got a proper release. I mean, I, I, I played one of them on Irish radio when I was in touring Ireland. Huh. I never got a proper, re- but I'm proud of him. I think we did a good job and I was thrilled to work with him. It was crazy. It was great. To, I mean, we could do another a podcast just about that. <laughs> bad yeah Shane McGowan yeah <laughs> but he was he was very nice but he's very much like his image mm. he's very very much what you'd expect in terms of the excess and the, the you know you know the you know the substances and all that uh-huh. uh, yeah. <laughs> but he was a gentleman he was very nice to us and he was and he came through and he was very good to our songs and he was he was, he was awesome and, uh, but it was it was uh, one of these things that just I can't believe happened, but it happened. Incredible. And, and meeting him for the first time was was crazy. I just it was just it was a whole the whole story to it. But that's a I can go on and on. And the Mark Marin thing, same uh, um, again because I was when I entered that community, I met all these people I wouldn't have met otherwise. So I met uh, a good friend of mine, Anthony Rizzo, who's uh, a phenomenal guitar player. Uh, and I kind of came in his orbit and he got, he had the opportunity to, to write you know, the score, to do the score for the show, do a lot of the scoring for the Mark Maron show. And he does that. He's, he's has some, um, that's part of his resume. He's done some soundtracks for, for television and film. 
and he was very kind. He, he, he invited me. He asked me to help him write the theme song to help with the lyric and come up with the, the vocal. And that was exciting. That was a thrill. And, and that ran, I think they used our theme song for most of the seasons. I think for was it four seasons, I think three out of the four seasons. I forget how many seasons it ran wow. on IFC. Yeah, four seasons. So was, yeah. So three out of the four, I think they used. And, and it was nice. Mark Marin um, flew us out to Los Angeles to perform. He's a, Mark Marin is a guitar player. Yeah. Very good guitar. He's good. He's real good. And he was very nice too. He uh, he flew us out, and uh, he wanted to release the the soundtrack to his TV series on vinyl. And uh, he wanted to have, he had a record release party in LA. I forget the club, but he invited us out, and we backed him up and played blues, you know, blues rock <laughs> for, and it was it was a lot of fun and uh, it was a great experience. And he was again, he was very kind to us, and. And he's very much like his character. <laughs> I know he's very, he's very nice, but he, it's uh, he's remarkably like what you see on television. You, you, that's the aura he has, you know, in real life. Nice. <laughs> that's the impression I get from him that he's very genuine in everything he does. That's he's kind of representing himself, you know. Yeah, it's nice. But there was a moment, uh, but everybody's the, there's little com- comical things that would happen that were uh, like we were going to the recording studio to no to the rehearsal studio, excuse me, before we did the record release show. And he shows up in a little, very, very modest car. I think it was like a Honda or something. And has a, <clears throat> pulls out, he has a, no case for it. He had a guitar, had a Gibson, I think P90 or something in his hand and a little practice amp on the other. <clears throat> We're walking to the studio and he trips <laughs> and bangs the amplifier into a concrete step and it was like and it was quiet for it. we're like oh my god is this really <laughs> it was like a little moment from the show or something you know? yeah yeah right <laughs> that is all. and you say all this stemmed from you walking into dominique's house. yeah yeah yep. it, it i prior to that i was just kind of just feeling around in the dark and um i don't know what i was doing you know i was lost years i guess um yeah. in some regard but that changed everything i mean just i felt i feel like things were happening ever since then i feel like things have been still happening that's a hell of a run i mean that's quite a while ago i think those you know we we get i don't know contemplative about the years that we feel like we've wasted or lost and uh it's not something that's even easy for for me to shake in some ways but there's a school of thought that says that that was you know thing that needed to happen that things were baking in a certain way before they were ready to be released and uh those kinds of moments i think are a testament to that because whatever else was going on you make this decision and from that decision to walk into that bar all these other things happen that have unfolded over the last, you know, 15 years or so. Um, Though it's just those small, you know, times where you're like, whatever it is motivating you to put yourself out into the world in a certain way can make the hugest difference. I agree. Another funny thing I'm thinking of, it's a little off subject. When I first started booking LSC Bar, 
I didn't, I didn't have the network really. I just, I, I didn't really know. I knew it was growing. I was knowing more, getting to know more and more musicians, but I was just limited. So when I got this, this thing I took on at LIC bar, I was quickly, even though like one night a week, and I just had to come up with three acts a week, I was starting to run out and I didn't want to put the same people over and over again. So I started, I actually would go on MySpace. That's how dating and start looking for local artists, like in this cold calling. And we, Hey, you want to wow. play set? Yeah. And that, that's what I had to do in the beginning. And, but that, that, that changed after, and after a while, you're, um, the first couple of years you're asking people to play and then the reverse happens. As mm-hmm. The longer you do it and people are asking you for, for opportunities. So it's, that's always easier. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Is, uh, is LIC bar still trying to make a go of it right now? It's, it, it really hasn't been closed. It's almost, it's been, open, it's been open almost the whole time. They just haven't been in a position where they can comfortably do live music yet. Yeah. But that's coming. soon. I, I just had a phone conversation with the owner and he's, he still wants to make that commitment. So we're, we're going to put our toe in the water, uh, if we if we're getting you know some warm days in the spring, we'll we'll throw a show here and there and see how we'll test the comfort level of both the audience and the performers to see uh, see how uh, far we can take it. That's great. That's the only way to do it because there there it's true that uh, Catherine's in touch with the theater downtown at the Horse Trade, um, and they put out a survey about uh, all the changes they made in their venue to make it safer. And would that would that bring you back to seeing live theater? And the majority of people said no. You know, they're just not ready. Really? Yeah. So, you know, I think I think it's a it's it's a tiptoeing in and and showing people that it it can work and and showing yourself that it can work and then hoping that it kind of builds from there, which it will. It will. You know. Uh, but in the meantime, anyone who uh, is on Facebook every Sunday night, eight o'clock, right? Uh, the, uh, yeah, Gus does a, a, a live streaming show uh, with a short interview and performance with uh, usually usually two uh, artists. Yeah, um, if you're around on March 28th, please tune in because Catherine and I will be performing that. But uh, but I'll tell you, every yes <laughs> synergy. Um, yes, you need the hand gestures. Uh, those of you listening on the podcast platforms, you're out of luck there. I'll have to describe the hand gestures for you. Uh, but it's, it's great. I mean, you, you bring to the LIC bar live streaming, what you bring to the live club, which makes me excited for, you know, what we hope the rest of this year is going to bring, you know, and, uh, anyone who is in LIC has an opportunity to stop by and even check it out now under these circumstances, do it because, I love the place and it's one of the, I have not been in every bar in LIC, uh, but of the ones I've been in, that's, that was always my favorite. Um, and we'll certainly be back there. And uh, along with all of that, is there anything else that you want to tell the audience before we wrap here? Other than to wish everybody well and to stay sane and healthy uh, and to get vaccinated. Uh, I think that's all that, that that's left in my head for now. Well, Until maybe the next time, maybe there's another time we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll uh, expound on other things. There's always more. There's always more, um, and I I hope that at least for this time around, that everyone who's who's listening checks out the links below because 
man, one of the joys of starting this interview series and being a part of the arts world at all, all is discovering how many other talents, talented people have that you didn't know. And I learned a lot from talking to you, not just about what you do, but just about how things, things are in general, which is always one of the great things uh, about talking with you. And uh, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Good, good. Yeah. And like you said, you know, there will, there will be other, other talks in the future for sure. Uh, and thank you to everyone out there who uh, is listening and watching and clicking and sharing and uh, patronizing and donating blood or whatever else is you're doing. I uh, appreciate all of it. And uh, I, as, again, thank you to Gus. And I hope you check out everything that, that Gus uh, has done and is doing. Uh, and uh, until next time, Nick DiMatteo, music is not a genre. Talk to you soon. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.